0: Well, good morning. Glad to have each and every one of you here with us in the service today. And I want to share a story with you, a true story. When I was about 11 years old, uh, I was growing up in rural southwest Louisiana. And uh, my father uh, has, had always raised cattle and horses. He used to train horses. So we always had four, five, six horses that he was working with, and then we had, we had three or four of our own, and uh, one of them was named Frank. That's who I would always ride, and I loved, one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to take my horse and to see how far into the woods I could go to find you know, new lands that had never been discovered, and uh, maybe great riches or whatever I had in my mind, And so I would ride off in the woods, and I would, I'd been back there many times with my dad, uh, and then I'd come back. And uh, I remember at one point, my cousin from California came down, John McDowell. He was staying with my grandmother for a couple of weeks. And I said, John, let's go ride horses. Let's saddle up. Let's go. And I remember my grandmother said, now, y'all don't be gone real long because uh, we're going to have lunch here in a little bit. And so it was probably whatever it was, 10 o'clock in the morning. And so we take off and uh, we go for a couple of months. He goes, shouldn't we be getting back? I said, oh, we're fine. It's no big deal grandma won't care. And, uh, we went to the point (coughs) of which my father had marked out. He didn't say I couldn't go past this, but he said, this is kind of where we go. This is the end of our property. Once you go over here, uh, this is into the tree company's property. You know, sometimes we'd go out there, but usually not. I said, I want to keep going. Let's go this way. So we went for a while. And then finally I was ready to come back. So I turned around, I start coming back and, um, I realized, okay, this, I guess, I think I didn't come the right direction. But I don't say anything. And I said, just keep going. John goes, do you know where we are? I said, oh, yeah, I know where I am. I'm good. I'm good. And pretty soon it starts to rain. And we finally hit this road. And I'm thinking, this is probably the road that leads to the road that leads to the other road where my grandmother lives. And I said, so let's go. I said, man, let's run these horses. So we're running. We're getting after it. And we run for about 25, 30 minutes. The horses really can't run much more. And he goes, we're lost. I go, we're not lost. I am not lost. I've grown up here. I know these woods. I am not lost. I was lost. <laughs> but I kept thinking that I really knew where I was, that I was really close. I kept thinking that I knew. And finally, <clears throat> we came, we finally we hit another road and we followed it to the end, and it's quit raining by now. And it's the highway. Now, the one thing that I knew that I was not supposed to do is I am never supposed to take the horse on the highway bad idea as an 11 year old that's that's the one thing my dad drew the line go get lost in the swamp I don't care but don't get on that highway all right I'm not worried about the alligators and the moccasins but don't get hit by a car and so you know I thought I don't think I can repeat what I just did (laughs) and we're in a new territory here and so long story short I get on the highway not on the highway but right next to it and because I know where it goes, and I'm about five miles from home at this point, but at least I know where I am, and so we come back in, and, and then we make a big circle, so it looked like we came out of the woods that we left in, <laughs> made this huge big circle, and my dad is there, and this is on a work day. It's about 4 p.m. He doesn't get off till 5. He's sitting there. He's sitting there on the tailgate of the truck. Where you been? Oh, so we're just riding around. We have gotten gone for six hours. We're just riding around. He goes, you weren't lost? Oh, no, Dad. No, we weren't lost. Uh, No, we just rode around, rode around in the woods. And um, I'd already told John that don't tell him we were lost. Don't tell him. Just tell him we were riding around. So finally, he got John. He said, John, where were y'all? What happened? He goes, we got lost. John. (laughs) John. And so... Uh, needless to say, uh, there's there's a consequence for every decision that you make. But my real problem was this: I could not admit I was lost, that I didn't know exactly where I was, where I was, or where I was going to end up. And uh, I can tried to convince my cousin, myself, my father, and everyone that I wasn't lost. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I think that's a picture of our sermon today. Matter of fact, if I were to tell you, what do you think the longest parable in all of the New Testament is? What is the longest individual story? What is the story that some believe is the strongest presentation of the gospel of any story in Scripture? Some would even go as far as to say it might be one of the most popular. It would definitely be one of the most popular, if not the most popular, parable in all of the Bible. What do you think that might be? The prodigal son. You might say the Good Samaritan, but actually the prodigal is much longer. And it gives a vivid picture of the gospel. And so as we look at this text, I want you to think about this. By the way, there's a great book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller that I highly recommend if you want to look into this more deeply. Uh, And here's the bottom line. We all have a propensity. We all gravitate toward one of two things, whether we're believers or unbelievers in Christ. We all gravitate toward two different lifestyles. One, many of us gravitate toward self-indulgence. We just want what we want, and we want more of it, and we like more stuff. It's hard for us to be content with what we're having. And we're just looking for the next activity, the next fun, the next pleasure, the next rush. And some, we kind of err toward self righteousness, maybe even legalism, although we don't like that word. I don't do that. I don't talk to people who do. I stay around, I stay away from those people. I stay away from there. I don't sit there. I don't eat this. I don't drink this. I don't do this. I don't watch this. And we think, that we are holy because there's a lot of things that we don't do. But in our self-righteousness, we look down, we judge, we have a lack of compassion. Often there's this little spirit of anger that's running under our hearts. The question for you today is, where are you today? Do you find yourself struggling with self-indulgence? Or the better question is, could it be if you really let someone examine your life, if you were really honest and did a self assessment, you might recognize? I often operate in a self righteous spirit. We all have a propensity toward both. My testimony is, I do both. It depends on what day you catch me. Now, this story here starts off in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And I want us to look at verse 1 and 2 first, Luke chapter 15, 1 and 2, because this is where it starts. And Jesus is speaking here, and the story is being told, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees, these are the religious people, so to speak. These are um, sort of the, the elders of the community, Uh, certainly from a law standpoint, religiously. And the scribes, these are the attorneys who interpret, the theologians who interpret the law, saying, this man receives and eats with sinners. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Of course, part of the problem, it's one thing that you receive them, but when you eat with someone in that culture, you're saying, I totally accept this person. They are a friend, they are family, they are confidant. This is someone that I accept. This is someone that I trust. And Jesus is trusting, he is welcoming in people who are not like them, people who are deep into their sin and their self-indulgence. And then he gives a couple of parables about being lost and then he goes on, and he picks, if we pick up in verse 11, let's read our story. And I want to challenge you not to check out because you go, I already know this story. Well, I know you know this story. Everybody knows, has heard this story, but I want you to understand this story. Because it's easy to go, I'm not a prodigal. Can I tell you? We're all prodigals. You know what the word prodigal means? It means wasteful. We sometimes waste our life and waste our materials, but we sometimes can waste our opportunities, our influence. Sometimes we waste our opportunity to minister on behalf of Christ because we're self-righteous. So both can be seen as prodigals. Both can be seen as loss. And he said, Jesus speaking here, there was a man who had two sons, two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, this would have been horrifically offensive in this culture, in this ancient Mid-Eastern culture. The father was the patriarch, he was the one that provided, and the hope was that your sons, if you had sons, would move in and, and build a place on your property and continue the blessing or continue the family business and continue with the family property. But this son comes to him, the younger son, and says, I would like the share of the property that is coming to me. So what's he saying? I would like to have my land. Now, I know I'm the youngest son, so I don't get the majority. The oldest son gets two-thirds. I get a third. By the way, the oldest son always got two-thirds, and everybody else got what was divided up. That's the way they did it. and it was, There was a purpose for that. It was to continue with the family name and for the family business and so there was a purpose for this. This is because this is not meant from one generation, but from multi-generations. And so the oldest son would have been trained and equipped and probably had the leadership skills. So this is t- traditionally the way it would work. What, so the other son is eligible for a third. And what does he do? He, in fact, says, Father, I want my land right now. And you got to understand what this is going to do to them as a family. It's going to dishonor them. Taking part of their land is like taking part of their name away. It's huge. This is land that we've owned maybe for generations and that we plan on passing down. And he's saying, give me it now. Give it to me. I'm not going to work for you. I'm not going to stay here. I don't care. And what would have happened normally is they would have been either beaten or out castigated at this point. But for some reason, this loving father Gives him that property, and he sells part of it. And the Bible says, and the property is divided between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. Okay, so let me tell you another ancient story that's not in the Bible. And this comes from the Eastern culture. Uh, It's it's thousands of years old, Uh, it's estimated. We don't don't know, but it's, it's kind of a legend story, and it goes like this. There was a man who had two sons, and his first son was very obedient. His first son planned on taking over the family business. They were fairly well off. They had plenty in their estate, but his youngest son, he continually had problems with him. He was rebellious. He would run off. He was hanging out with some of the the kids that his father did not want him to hang out. He started seeing the bad influence in the way that he would talk. Uh, He would come home drunk sometimes. And then finally, the father said, this is going to have to stop. You're going to have to stop. But the son paid no attention And he decided that he would run off with this gang of friends. And so they left that village and went to another nearby village. And periodically, they would come back and they would take things from this village and from other villages. And they were known as thieves. And they were being looked for and hunted for. And it was one point, one of them is captured and they're escaping one of the villages and they start headed toward home. They go, what will we do? They go, should we go home and beg for mercy? And they go, no, there's plenty there. And Ling, you have family. You have family. Your parents have wealth. Let's go get some of it. They'll never miss it. He goes, I couldn't do that. I couldn't steal from my father. I've already brought him enough shame. I couldn't do it. And finally, that gang of Raoul encouraged him to go and to the secret place where his father had hidden outside and buried their family wealth and some of their family treasures. So he took what was there. He took the cash. He took some of the rings He took the the, the precious stones, and he took that box, and he came back. And they divided it up, and they were able to live big and large for quite a while. And then the word got out that they had stolen. Someone told on them. One of them got captured. And so those boys were put in prison. Ling was put in prison too, but his father came and paid the rent, paid the bail to get him out. He forgave the debt. He brought him home. His son, dad, I am so sorry I've brought so much dishonor to you. I have shamed you. I will earn and I will work it off and I will pay every cent back. I'm sorry. He said, son, it's okay. I'm going to take care of it. I'm so sorry for the shame that I brought. Do not worry about it. So he he marveled that it seemed to not be a consequence. And his dad told him one day from this week or next week this time, we'll have a celebration for you. And I want you to be here, and we're going to invite everyone. His, the son could not believe what he was doing. And there they were, a great banquet, a great feast. And there was plenty to eat and plenty to drink. And after the meal, the father got up and said, my son has stolen and brought dishonor to my family. But he has asked forgiveness. He has tried to make amends. And so I make this toast to him. They all drank of their wine. And shortly after that, his son began began to gasp for air. And he choked to death and he died. And each member of the community and of the elders nodded their head as they walked by the father. For the father had restored honor to their family. The son had taken the dishonor had been placed upon him and the father had done away with the dishonor. Now that's how most people would have felt during that time. That's how most people would have seen how you would have handled someone who takes what's much precious to your family, who brings shame and dishonor to your family. But let's see what Jesus says here. Beginning in verse 15. So he went and hired himself out, this young man, to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. By the way, he's a Jew. He's going to take care of animals that are unclean. He had to be around them. All of a sudden, he's going to be unclean. So he has, uh, he has already left his family socially. He has already morally uh, brought dishonor to his family. Now even in their culture and in their faith, their religion, he's bringing dishonor. And the Bible says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and this is the first step of repentance. It's always in our head. We recognize what a mess we have made. We recognize our great need. That's literally what he's talking about here. He says, when he came to himself he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and against you. And what is he saying here? I know in my head now I'm going to take actions with my heart and I'm going to go and I'm going to ask forgiveness and I'm going to just see if I can just be a hired hand. Because I know he hires people, kind of contract labor. There would have been at least three groups during that time. You would have had the family uh, in any business, and then you would have those who lived with you. Uh, Some might have been servants. Uh, some might have been hired on permanently and then there were those that you brought in during the harvest time you brought in to do the, the the menial labor and that's probably what he's alluding to I'll do that and I will I will earn it back I'll pay you back I will rise and go to my father I've sinned against him in heaven before you and be I just want to be a hired servant I'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants Not even one that lives within your home, but one that you hire out. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Do you realize that word compassion is used to describe Jesus more than any other word? It's the stirring in our heart. It's the the love and the charity it's the grace that stirs in our heart that we want to minister someone, that we want to reach out and help, even though they might not deserve it, even though we might not know how. That spirit of compassion that burns within him, and that's what the Father's feeling, and that's what Christ feels for us. And he ran, and he embraced him, and that he ran. He's the patriarch. Patriarchs don't run. Older men don't run. You, had, you would have had to hike up your little outfit <laughs> And start running, he's older, but he doesn't care. In this situation, this culture, if you're the inferior, the superior, you always walk to the superior. In other words, if you see some, when you see a king in any movie in that time, what happens? Well, the king is here, they have to approach him. The patriarch, you would never yell at your father to come to you. You would never motion, you would always go to them, therefore showing honor and respect. But that's why this is so wild and so unbelievable. He runs to him completely, recklessly, not worrying about what other people think. And what does he say? Well, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father say to him? He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on On his hand, that insignia ring, that's probably a ring that is kind of like almost a credit card. This is the way we purchase things. This is the way we sign documents. I am only a son would have this type of ring. He's fully restoring him. And shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. All right. Now, let's talk for just a moment about three things that we notice about the self-indulgent son. Or the prodigal son. There's three things that I think we pick up here in this text, and I want to give those to you. They're good questions to ask ourselves today. The prodigal son, it wasn't enough. All that the father had, all that the father offered, he never felt like it was enough. Number one. Number two, he was a prodigal because he was always chasing the momentary happiness. Maybe This will be fun. Maybe this will be good. Not thinking about the consequences, only thinking about the pleasure. And number three, he lived for amusement and pleasure. He wasn't content with what he had. Didn't learn to be grateful and thankful for what he had. He was willing to leave the country because he thought, I know. I'll go to France. I heard it's fun over there. It'll be great over there. I know where I'll go. I'll go to California. I think the taxes are low. There's lots of money to be made there. I'll go there. And he takes off and he runs away. Those of you from California, it's okay. (laughs) And I'll have amusement and pleasure. It'll be great. But he plows through everything in his undisciplined, unconscientious life. What about you? Do you find yourself thinking whatever you have is just not enough. If I could just make $50,000 more, that would be enough. If I could just live here, if I could just move there, if I could just get this house or this car. You find yourself chasing the next thing, living for pleasure, or maybe you more correctly would relate to the father, or excuse me, the elder son, and let's look at the story there, the elder brother. At this point, the father says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Now, this is a big, stinking deal to have, to have a fatted calf. Fatted calf, uh, for many people, they would rarely, if ever, eat beef. If you were a slave, you may go through your whole life and not ever have beef. This was considered an extreme luxury, and many even common people might have it once or twice in their life, and it might be for their wedding or something of that nature. This is is the choicest meat you could get. Now, they had plenty of fish and bird and things of that nature, but the fatted calf, this was a rarity. He said, bring that calf, that veal, and let's celebrate. Something huge is going on. My son was lost, has come home. And so this Fatted calf is killed, and he said, "'For my son was dead, and he's alive. "'He was lost and is found.'" And they begin to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and he's out there working. "'Where you should be, where my brother should have been.'" And he came, and he drew near to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked them, "'What's going on here? "'What do these things mean?' And he said to him, "'Your brother has come.'" And your father has killed the fatted calf. Your father has got the, the ultimate celebration that we can have. We've only got one fatted calf, and we're killing him for your brother. I bet you the servants thought he would be excited, but we continue. And it says, because he received him back safe and sound. But what reaction do we see here from the older brother? The same one, the Pharisees. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and intrigued him. His father again. Remember, he should come to his father. His father goes to him. And he says, son, I don't understand, buddy. He says, look, these many years I've served you. Or excuse me, the son said, your son was lost, but now he's found. We've received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So he's dishonoring his father. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your commandments. That's probably not exactly true. But in his mind, you know how when you're mad, you'll exaggerate. That's probably what he's doing a little bit here. I've never disobeyed your commandments, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I've been good. What about me? But then this son of yours came and he devoured your property. We've lost a piece of our inheritance. Everything that's left is mine. So technically, dad, when you die, that would have been my cow. You're giving away part of my inheritance. And he's devoured what he said. He's shown himself unresponsible. Dad, that is reckless. That's what you're being You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this is your brother who was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. I think there's a message for us to learn as believers, as elder brothers in particular. First of all, we see his lack of compassion. You see how the father's heart was stirred with compassion. But this self-righteous son, there's no compassion. Number two, he sulks and has pity when things don't turn out the way that he thinks they should. He probably would have really resonated with that first story, that first parable I told you, where the son gets it. Thirdly, he has an undercurrent of anger. Now you need to ask yourself those same three questions. Do you find yourself with a lack of compassion for those around you? Because you think, you know what? They deserve it. They're getting what they deserve. I'm not doing anything. You find yourself sometimes sulking and throwing a little pity party. because, You know, God, I did this, this, and this. And then what do I get? I see people over here that are hypocrites or not, don't even care, don't even believe, and they're succeeding. And what about me? That's the spirit of an elder brother. Do you find yourself just angry? I'm angry because things haven't worked out, because other people are blessed because God's not come through, and this is not what I signed up for. I'm serving. I'm helping those children. I'm giving money. I'm showing up on service days. And, God, I'm just mad. This is not the position in the church I wanted. I don't like the way people talk. to. I don't like that I'm not in this group I don't like that guy who teaches here. I don't like that preacher, the way that he points his finger sometimes. I don't like any of that. Makes me mad. I just have this undercurrent of anger because I am an elder brother. I'm a recovering elder brother myself, by the way. I really am an elder brother. So, where are you today? Where, Where are you maybe leaning? What propensity do you have? What's the natural place for for you to lean? Well, there's good news. God calls us to come to him. And I want us to look at one last picture up here, and I think this is a beautiful picture. It's Rembrandt's version of the prodigal. And here we see the father, the son obviously kneeling, the elder brother on the far right, and then we're not sure who this is. Maybe he's a tax collector. Maybe he's one of the primary workers for the father and then probably a servant. And they're watching how the father is embracing and counting. You can see the concern, but you can see almost the resentment in the face of the one as he stands through with his hands closed, looking at the father. And then we see the son bowed before the father, placing his head in his chest, head shaved as that of a servant. We see his shoes are worn out, Remember how they told him to bring shoes in place on their feet? And you can see how his shoes have been worn out, how his clothes are tattered. But the father said, bring him a robe. Dress him like me, like he's the son, like he's royalty. And then you see the father. It's as if he's, his eyes are closed. But he sees none of the sin of his son, but he's embracing him. And very interesting, if you know much about this picture, you know that the right hand has feminine qualities in other words it's a softer hand it's a hand of compassion a hand of grace where the left hand is a hand that looks like someone who's been working who's it's calloused and it's a stronger hand it's the two pictures of who God is the God of compassion and the God of justice and both hands have been placed upon the sun it's a beautiful picture And it's a beautiful picture of us coming to the Savior, recognizing our tremendous need. And the gospel is this, our sin is more egregious than we ever thought or imagined. But the other side is also true. We are more loved and more accepted and more welcomed by God the Father than we ever could have imagined. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this in the very first of the 95 theses that he nailed upon the Wittenberg door. He said this in the very first thesis. He said, all of life is repentance. Grace be to our Lord Jesus Christ and King. All of life is led to repentance. All of life is to be repentance. What does he mean by that? All of life is to be repentance. Does that mean I need to always feel bad? No. That's not a biblical view of repentance. Repentance is this. It's a recentering of your heart. It's recognizing, God, I need more of you. Christ, I call out to you because of your amazing grace that we sang about earlier, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you took my place and your righteousness has been imparted to me, that even more, God, do I love you. And when I fall away, how much more do I want to embrace you each and every day? That's the picture of repentance. It's recentering my life with my mind, with my heart, with my actions, with my compassion. And it's a beautiful portrait of what was transpiring right there. So the first step is biblical repentance. Oswald Chambers said it this way, salvation, repentance does not bring about salvation. It is not salvation, but it's the sign of that you realize what Christ has done for you. So four ways, if you're a recovering uh, older brother or a recovering younger brother, whatever your story might be, number one, repent. Recognize your need for Christ and how he embraces and loves and receives. And say, God, I recenter, I reorient, I come back to you. I recognize my sin against you and forgive me. But I confess, just as the younger son has done here, and we're fully embraced. We're always in the arms. You know, even, uh, even if he had not said those things, I think the father would have fully embraced him. He would have loved him and hugged him. And he's so overwhelmed by the grace that he'll always want to be with the father. He'll always recognize anything that he does dishonorably because of the amazing grace. Number two, believe. Believe the power of the gospel. Believe the truth of the gospel that we are lost, but God is holy, but he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be in fellowship with him as we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, took our penalty upon the cross, and on the third day he rose again and he's alive. We can believe in the power of the gospel. Next, we can belong. We can belong to the community of faith. We can belong in his family and be a part. That's one of the reasons we do small groups and multiple Bible studies and other things, for you to connect with people, to belong to the body of Christ, to have a place, to have a home, to have a place where you're encouraged spiritually. And last, so that you might become. Become who God intended you to be, a child of the king, who lives that in grace and freedom, in a spirit of repentance, not guilty, not because I've done anything wrong, but because I constantly want to reveal more of myself and surrender more of myself to Christ, my King. I want to become that child that you so want me to be, Jesus. I want to become what you are calling me, where you're calling me to serve, where you're calling me to lead, what you're calling me to do. So I repent I believe, Lord, I belong, and Lord, I surrender to become. I surrender. What the father did was a picture of reckless reckless love. When you compare those two parables, one father took it upon himself to correct, to restore the image, to restore the honor. The other father was completely reckless. He didn't ask for anything. He didn't have the son prove himself. Even after he would taken and squandered it, what did he do? He completely restored him back when he came back in a spirit of repentance. That was reckless. Dad, why did you give him that in the beginning? Why did you give him those blessings he can't understand or he can't really appreciate? And might be true of some of us. Are we able to appreciate and truly utilize for the kingdom's sake the blessings that we have? That's a beautiful picture of the reckless love of God just as his father recklessly loved his son. So we're back. And from the story I began with, when John and I are back, we've received our just recompense of reward. And my father is talking to me. And he said, Son, why didn't you tell me The truth. I said, Dad, I didn't think I was lost. Son, you've been gone for six hours. (laughs) Dad, I didn't want to believe I was lost. Okay. He said, You know, you have horses. Frank grew up here. If you'd let him have the range, he would have come back. He would have just naturally walked back. I know, Dad, but I wanted to be in control, I wanted to go, I wanted to do it. So the reason we're here is because you disobeyed. You chose to not be honest once it was revealed to you. And thirdly, what did you do? You wouldn't trust the horse that I gave you who grew up in these woods and could have found his way home. I said, you're right. That's exactly what it was. That's the picture of where many of us are today in our lostness. We're missing it. We're missing it, and we find ourselves in that spirit of, I want to be in control. I'm fine just where I am. What is God calling you to today? Is he calling you to believe, to repent and to believe? Is he calling you to belong? Is he calling you to become? It's time to take that step forward and say, God, use me. I will serve. I will go. I will do whatever you ask. What is God calling you today my prodigal friends, I have one the chief of all sinners who struggle with both. I resonate with you. What step is God calling you to take today? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, for anyone here today who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would draw them, that you'd let them see that we are never good enough. We can't control it. We can't just deny our losses. We have to open our eyes and say, I recognize I need you, Lord. I am lost without you. I do not have the power to save myself. God, forgive me my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. Maybe you're here as a believer and you find yourself falling into self righteousness. Ask God to give you a heart of compassion and ask God to put someone to burden your heart who doesn't know Christ today. And pray for them this week and invite them to church. Begin praying for them now. Ask God to give you a, a person or people, friend, family, coworkers, people that you know that don't know Christ? Would you believe? Would you belong to the body in a sense where you take the responsibility to share forth the truth and the grace of God and become the Son? that God is calling you as you receive his grace, as you're overwhelmed by his grace, as you're overwhelmed by his love, his reckless love that you don't deserve, but that he pours out even when we don't deserve it, even when we continue to screw things up. What a beautiful picture, Lord. At this time, I want you to prepare your heart to receive from the table of the Lord. If there's something you need to confess and to repent in your heart, then I invite you to do that. Prepare to receive from the table of the Lord.